Hello, my name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. A very good morning, and uh, you're very welcome to today's Signpost webinar. Uh, we hope you're keeping safe and well wherever you're joining us from today. Today, we're going to be discussing the Agricultural Catchments Programme, and today's webinar is part of a, a series of activities that are going to be taking place over the next week, and we'll hear a little bit about those in a few moments. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background on the programme itself, uh, the programme is run by Chagisk and is funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, and has been in operation since 2008, and has amassed a huge amount of data during that period and the primary objectives of the program are to analyze the effect and effectiveness of the national action program uh, more than measures within the nitrates uh, program and also to support the changes that are needed within the the uh, nap or Ni uh, national action program to achieve excellent water quality and today we're going to be discussing the trends in water quality using some of that data. And I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Per Eric Melander, who's catchment scientist with the ACP or Ag Agricultural Catchment Program, and also Jason Galloway, who's hydrochemist with the catchments program. And finally, we have Eddie Burgess, who's catchments specialist with the agricultural catchments program. Before we get talking to Perrick and Jason, um, Eddie, uh, you're uh, going to maybe just give us a little outline and help, we're well, going to help us with the questions later on, but maybe give us an outline of what the activities are planned for agricultural catchments week, which starts today effectively. Yeah, Mark, yeah, this is kicking off uh, ACP week. And uh, from today, right up until next Friday, we have a series of act activities. We're, naturally, we're here this morning talking about water quality issues. The Agriculture Catchments Program this time was uh, our remit and it was expanded to take on gases emissions. And next Friday, the signpost webinar will be looking at soils, which um, influence climate change through carbon sequestration, but also on our monitoring with eddy covariance towers and carbon dioxide. Um, and throughout next week, we have a number of podcasts and, and various media releases uh, on the radio and in the press and on Chagas Daily. But it's all culminating with an open day in our Timalee catchment, which we'll hear more of the results uh, later in this webinar. But uh, in, in Timaleeg, uh, at 11 o'clock next Friday, we will have an open day looking at all the um, research that we undertake and have been undertaken, as you said, for the last 14 years, uh, monitoring water quality and evaluating the regulations. And there is rays of light uh, over the last four years um, of, of uh, changing in water quality in a positive direction. Great. Thanks, Eddie. So um, Tim Alig, for those of you who aren't aware, is County Cork, I think, isn't it, Eddie? Um, very near Clonic Guilty. Clonic, near Clonic Guilty. OK, so it's a, it's a good bit down, but um, great opportunity to meet uh, the team and uh, see some of the results. And I imagine the, the farmers uh, will be on hand as well and to to uh, to meet with anybody who, who wishes to go along. So great opportunity to 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 get a uh, under the, the bonnet look at the catchments program. Um, so um, we, full details of that, I presume, are up on the Chagas website, uh, Eddie. They are, yes. To, yeah. to, to get the directions and air code and all that. So, um, so Per Eric, you're um, you quite have quite a very job. I know you're you're from from the lab right out to the field uh, with your 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 work. Um, maybe could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do with the catchments program, so people have an understanding of the the nature of what you do. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so I'm I'm managing the the water quality research uh, within the program and having a, a kind of overview of 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 the whole continuum of following nutrients mainly from from the source by different pathways and how it might end up in water and uh, doing research uh, and as you said all from from the field up to to find doing analysis and trying to understand what, what is actually happening and the more the more we can understand all this of course that the, the, the more we can do to prevent uh, these nutrients from ending up in water yeah. So you have a, a really unique uh, expertise on the, the pathways and, and particularly within the Irish Irish uh, landscape and geology. So 
I, I say that so people can have an idea of maybe the types of questions that uh, they can put to you at a later stage. And and Jason, uh, you're you're the hydrochemist on the on the pro- program. Could you tell us a bit about your the, the nature of your work? Um, sure. Um, so um, I do everything to do with water and how it transports um, nutrients from fields um, into streams or groundwater. Um, so I'm kind of looking at um, uh, physical ca- characteristics of the media that the water is passing through and so on, and how those influence um, what we're seeing in, in our ca- test catchments. Okay, great, great. So, um, okay, brilliant. So, so Parag, we'll hand over to you and uh, look forward to your presentation. Okay, well, thank you very much. And, and good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Parag Milander, and I'm going to talk, uh, give kind of a little of an overview of uh, the water quality status and trends in the agricultural catchments. And uh, also maybe explain a little bit what might lie behind uh, what we're seeing. So first I'll start off. The catchments program started in 2008 and it's ongoing and it's funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine. And it's collaboration with just over 300 farmers across six catchments in Ireland. And uh, uh, the approach is to combine biophysical and socioeconomical research with knowledge transfer. And we're a, a very big team of scientists, uh, advisors, technologists, and technicians. And the aim, well, the purpose is to monitor the effectiveness of the current good agricultural practice measures and provide science-based findings for policy review, but also to monitor the influence of the irrigation farming. So. We, we do this in six roughly 10 square kilometer agricultural catchments uh, chosen to represent the variety of, of uh, landscape types, typologies in, in Ireland, uh, but all chosen to be on, on intensively managed agricultural land. And the sizes of these, the, the 10 square kilometers, is, is chosen to be large enough to, to include the variability of the landscapes and everything within in this catchment that I will talk a bit more about later, but yet small enough to be able to detect changes uh, and, and not being influenced by too long time lags. <clears throat> and uh, uh, we use, the a strength of it is that we use the same experimental design in all six catchments. So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in the outlets we have uh, high temporal resolution monitoring of both hydrology and water quality parameters. Uh, so as you see here in, in, in the river outlet in one of the catchments, um, we monitor uh, nutrient concentration, nitrate N concentration, total phosphorus, total reactive phosphorus, and a few other parameters, uh, concentrations, and also water flow uh, every 10 minutes. And this has been done since uh, 2009. So there's a lot of data between each parameters, it, it's, it's more than, well, up to about half a million uh, parameters on each uh, parameter. And the reasons for having that is that, that it captures all. We don't risk skewing the data uh, but by a few sample points. And also, it captures low and high flow uh, conditions. And we can, by, by capturing all, we can detect subtle changes in water quality. And that's needed when, when, for example, understanding the influence of the kind of slow changes induced by weather shifts. But it also provides a process-based understanding. And with this type of data, we have been able to develop methods that we can separate pathways, how, how nutrients move in the landscape, and also methods that we can identify and quantify point sources and, and even diffuse pollution. And I will show you methods later on that, that we use. So what we monitor in the river outlet is a mirror of the ma- landscape. And the Irish landscape is quite complex and contains different soil types, geology, land use, topography, and, and loads of things. And all things that affect how nutrients which pathway it takes in landscape, and then also the associated transfer times and processes along those pathways. So the six catchments represent uh, these different types of settings and scenarios. And 
uh, nitrate, phosphorus, and sediment loss varies highly between the different settings. So if you think this, <clears throat> you see in this figure uh, the complexity that could be in, in, in the landscape. If you imagine that as a catchment and, and you add agricultural sources to that and weather as drivers of, of nutrients, <clears throat> then, then what we monitor in the outlet will reflect all that and be a mix of both agriculture sources and weather and be controlled by the different land units. So it's quite filtered signal and mix of both. And it doesn't necessarily, what we monitor in the outlet is not necessarily reflecting the, the sources uh, because it's so filtered and, and there's so much influence of, of other factors. In some cases it will, in some cases not. And if you imagine then the size of this catchment, that will include more of this landscape and, and uh, dampen the signal a bit more. And it will also introduce longer time, uh, time lags. So it mightn't be representing uh, agriculture today. It might be a mix of what we're doing today and, and what we did for about 10 years ago. So we need to understand all this when we analyze uh, all the data. Uh, these are the six catchments that we monitor uh, across Ireland. And in the little boxes below, you can see the average concentrations over 13 years of total reactor phosphorus in milligrams per liter, nitrate N in milligrams per liter, and then the Water Framework Directive's aquatic ecology status. And uh, there are environmental quality standards. And for reactive phosphorus, this is 0 0.035 milligram, uh, milligrams per liter. So, uh, and then for nitrogen, it's 2.61 milligrams per liter. So with this in mind, I've color coded this in kind of traffic light colors. So red being above these standards and uh, orange being very near and green being below. So as you can see here, Two of our catchments are high in both nitrate and phosphorus. And one is high in phosphorus and one is high in nitrate, and two of them are, are below in, in both. Um, so it, it's quite, quite different. And, and they are this for very different reasons. And, and that's a little bit what I'm going to uh, go into a bit later here. But I also want you to notice that, that there's actually a rather poor correlation between the water framework directives that quality. Uh, aquatic ecology status and, and the nutrients concentrations. It, this is quite complex uh, relation and something that we certainly need to look into more. <clears throat> Here is the nitrate N concentration and the interannual trends in all the catchments over uh, fr from 2010 to, to 2022. Um, and to the left is tabulated, so a number per year. <clears throat> and then the color codes is the four-year rolling man candle trend. Uh, so the gray is that there is no trend. Blue is stable, that is a stable trend, no change. Uh, red increasing and green decreasing. And to the right, you see Actually, the very same data, but, but graphed in, in uh, the annual average nitrate concentrations, the dots and the line is the four-year uh, moving average nitrate concentration. <clears throat> so literally what you can see here that, that there, there are some changes in, in, in trends across here. These are short, short period trends in four-year periods. So mostly we have high concentrations during these two years, 18 and 19 and also increasing trends during this period. And, and this is very much due to a, a kind of an outlier year in 2018, when we have a severe drought building up high nitrogen pools in the soils. And then this, there was a big flush out of these in, in the autumn. And this really elevated nitro concentrations in all our rivers in, in monitored in the ACP. And all the, the kind of periods looking at trends that ended with these years had, had an increasing trend and, and it really offset the, the, the whole picture. And if you then look at now, more recently, we are actually seeing a decreasing trend. And, and actually in Timo League, as, as I mentioned before, um, 
the concentrations at uh, 2022 is, is lower than it has been during our period of, of uh, monitoring. So I, I won't go into much now in what, what is the underlying uh, cause of, of these trends in nitrates, because I know Jason will be talking shortly on more in detail on, on nitrate um, trends and, and, and concentrations in, in subcatchments. So instead, I will actually now move on to looking into control factors controlling phosphorus. Uh, and some of them, of course, will be very important also for nitrate, but a very important factor is the soil drainage. So what, what you have here is a graph on total phosphorus loss in the load, the in kilos of phosphorus per hectare and month, and the stream flow in millimeters per month for two catchments, one well-drained catchment and one poorly drained catchment. So the well drain is blue and, and the poorly drain is, is red. And these are just very short distance from each other. It's the two Wexford catchments, but you can clearly see that that for the same river flow, you have two and a half times more loss in the poorly drained catchment. And there's no big difference in, in the amount of sources here. So this, this is an example of where actually the hydrology can override source pressure. Because this catchment with poorly drained soil has a very flashy hydrology and kind of erosive hydrology. And a lot more phosphorus will be carried out in, in, in the runoff in this catchment. And you can also see a larger seasonality in this catchment because it responds quicker to, to shifts in weather. Another factor that that's very important is the soil chemistry. And this is a similar type of, of a paired catchment uh, approach where, where we look at two mainly groundwater fed catchments. Um, one uh, is aluminum rich, is the Castle Locker catchment in Wexford. And one is iron rich soils. Uh, that's the Tim League catchment in Cork. And um, you see that. Uh, here is the water-soluble phosphorus and, and Morgan's P phosphorus, and both phosphorus uh, forms complex uh, with, with both aluminium and iron, but, but with iron, it tends to be more soluble and will easier, easier be leached to, surface, uh, to, to groundwater, to shallow groundwater, where it will end up in river. So other factors, um, both aluminium and iron, but also calcium uh, is controlling factor for both P retention and solubility. And this will influence the phosphorus loss even at the catchment scale. And, and we see that uh, this iron rich catchment actually has twice as much phosphorus leaving uh, by below ground pathways that, than the aluminum rich. The proportions uh, of, are the same, but, but it's just higher concentrations. Other factors are critical source areas. Uh, it's very, very good to know about where, where these are. Um, there are some areas where phosphorus sources on, on the, the surface are directly connected, hydrologically connected to the rivers. And these will contribute a lot more than to, to the uh, overall phosphorus loss. But they're not only critical areas, it's actually also critical times. So there are some times that, that uh, are more sensitive to loss. And when looking at doing interannual comparisons and looking at trends of that, you might be missing things then because sometimes it could be the loss could be just a short season when, when things are happening. So trends could be in the seasonality rather in, in, the, in the different years. And then also uh, another complexity of, of looking at uh, trends is that there are critical pathways. And when you monitor in the river, you mightn't observe a trend or you might see a trend, but actually that might be driven by only changes in one pathway or two pathways. You could even be counteracting pathways uh, that, that, that makes that you don't detect the trend. So it's very important to be able to separate the pathways, which is also a strength for, for being able to say where, where the losses are, but, but you can also then see where the changes are. And then to know uh, to be able to identify point sources versus uh, uh, diffuse losses. So these are all ways that, that facilitates the knowledge for better management and advice. 
Then we also need to know about weather and the influence that weather has as a driver of, of mutant laws. We have the sources, but, but they wouldn't be lost if there wasn't a mechanism driving this loss. Uh, and there are both long-term shifts and short-term extremes. And the first here is an example of, of the long-term shift. Uh, you see a nitrate N concentration on the y-axis. Uh, that's annual averages in, in one catchment. So each dot is a year of, of 10-minute data composed into one dot. And then you have on, on the x-axis, uh, something that's called North Atlantic Oscillation Index. So that's that's just one number that illustrates a big, big weather system over the Atlantic and how that intensifies some years. So if you actually plot these against each other, you see there's a fairly good correlation. Um, and, and this is quite strong in some catchments and less so in other catchments, and sometimes for nitrate and sometimes for phosphorus. Um, so in this case, this illustrates this kind of long-term uh, um, changes that might be difficult to detect by, by, by looking at short-term uh, monitoring. But then there are also the, the weather extremes. Uh, and this is an example. You see the photo here to the left is uh, surface runoff on actually well-drained soils. Uh, but this is in November when these the soils were saturated and received excessive rainfall on top of that and, and generated huge uh, surface runoff. So if you look in the graph on the right side, you see a big spike, and that's the same period. That's 13th and 14th, November 2014. And over those two days, this catchment lost more than, than it does normally over a, a full year. So it was 106% of annual average loss over, only over these two days. Um, and then you can have drought-induced nitrate loss as another type of weather extreme. Uh, I already mentioned that, that during this big drought we had in 2018, when, when you build up the, the nitrate pool and uh, by poor growth, but also by mineralization and, and other factors. And then in autumn, when rain comes, this uh, pool is flushed out. And we saw that in, in all the catchments and more so in the brass catchments. And an example here in the graph is nitrogen loss in kilos per hectare a month and river flow. And you can see the red dot there. That's in November 2018, just after the drought with the first rains to flush this out. And this uh, was just this uh, month was 54% of the annual average loss on nitrate. <clears throat> so with, with uh, this high frequency data, the, the very and frequent monitoring of, of nutrients. We have been able to develop new methods, as I mentioned before, and separating pathways, but also to quantify and, well, identify and quantify uh, the amount of diffuse pollution, which, which has always been tricky. And um, this, is, this is allows uh, us to do a systematically objective way of describing diffuse pollution. And how we do that is uh, we, create a, what we call a mobilization index. And, and this is in, in the same way as, as we, hydrologists will, will do this to create uh, to be able to say something about the flashiness of a, a catchment. And even economists do the same with the salaries and they look at percentiles, uh, ratios of percentiles of, of salaries to be able to, to talk about uh, inequality. And we do the same here, uh, having so, such a wealth of data on concentrations, we can look at the top 5% of, of the concentration divided by the top, well, the lower 5%, so the 95th percentile divided by the 5th percentile. And this will integrate uh, processes that, that, that contribute to, to the concentrations in the catchments, in, in the river outlets, such as soil phosphorus detachments and solubilization. And we can do the same then also with the mass loads, the, the, the weight of, of uh, the phosphorus, and get uh, an indication of, of the delivery of, of phosphorus, uh, such as hydrological connections or phosphorus retention. And the reason we want to do this is that they characterize the catchment's phosphorus transfer, but also 
we can analyze its stability or even look at trends in, in, in this. And also, it allows us to analyze transfer processes for model scenarios so we can look into the future how what might be happening. And I'll just quickly give you an example of that uh, before I wrap up. Uh, these are the mobilization indices uh, in all the catchments for total phosphorus at top and reactor phosphorus at the bottom. And they're ranked by, from the highest mobilizations to the lowest. And this matches our conceptual understanding of these catchments very well um, with, with a higher mobilization in the groundwater fed catchments and, and lower in, in, in the surface driven. And then there, this is the same for, for the delivery index uh, with, with a higher in the flashier catchments and, and lower in, in the more groundwater fed catchments. And then we can also look at the trends in these. And, and literally you can see that some catchments have been quite stable and, and some have gone up and some have gone down. And this allows us to, to really understand what, what might be happening in these catchments. And I'll give you now an example of how this practically can be used. Um, using uh, what we call the phosphorus transfer continuum, where we follow uh, the phosphorus at all stages from, from the sources via uh, this transfer to, to delivery and impact. We have a, a, an idea already of, of the sources, and we have that in stocking rates. But so, so this is in kilos organic phosphorus per hectare in all the catchments. Um, what, what supply there, and, and these are color-coded, again, red for being excessive and green for being low. Uh, some of them have little, some of them are, uh, Balcalou and, and Donnier here are red despite being low numbers, that, and they have little pluses there, and that's because we know that there's also uh, slurry going into these that wasn't uh, included in this number. Then we have mobilization index that we calculated, and again, some are high and some are lower. It's the traffic light uh, color code again. And then the delivery. So this is also calculated from this index. And then we have the impact. That's what we monitor in the outlet. So now this is where it gets interesting because now we can see what might be the risk. So if we take, for example, these two catchments, Kordov and Kregdov, they both have low, well, they actually both have high sources, both red there, and, and then the impact is low yet. And now we can understand why, because neither of them have high mobilization on delivery risk. So it doesn't matter if the sources are that high in these catchments. But we still have to be aware that processes might change in the catchment. That's why the trends are important and to understand the catchment. So if any of these mobilization on delivery uh, processes will increase there, then we're in trouble, then, then the impact might uh, increase there. Well, Casadocrel is kind of the opposite. It has low uh, sources, but it has high mobilization. But since it hasn't had much sources, it doesn't matter that much phosphorus is mobilized. So the impact becomes low. But then it's potential mobilization risky, because if the sources will increase there, we know there's already high mobilization in that catchment. And then finally, we have the three catchments where impact is high. Uh, and we can see why there's high sources, but there are different reasons for, for, for the transfer there. In, in, in uh, Balkanu, it's about the delivery. And in Donlir and Timolig, it's more about mobilization. So this is a kind of risk screening tools that, that can, can facilitate some, some, some planning here in, in mitigation strategies. So I'd just like to summarize this now that the catchments program is building a robust scientific understanding on the factors affecting nutrient loss. And these are, as I mentioned, uh, critical areas, critical times, and critical pathways. And source pressures alone does not entirely explain stream nutrient concentrations. There are other factors that, that can, can influence there. Physical and chemical factors and weather influence nutrient loss. And then measures need time to be adopted and implemented on farms to, to deliver a, a positive impact on water quality. And then finally, we have this new P-index method that can be used as a risk screening tool. So with that, I'd like to thank you very much. And, and I'm open for some questions. 
Thank you, Pereric, and uh, thank you for stepping us through some of those complex enough uh, slides there. Uh, very at a nice pace there, because uh, yeah, it's good. To, it's good to really understand that, and I really like that uh, transfer risk screening tool. So uh, maybe we can talk about that after uh, Jason's presentation, because I'm, I'd imagine there's quite a few questions around that, and and really looking at how that, that can be put into practice. Um, so Jason, uh, if you're there and you can share your screen with us, um, if we could try and keep it uh, to maybe 10 minutes so that we can have good good time for questions and answers. We already have seven questions coming in from our audience. So um, so we, we'll maybe ask you to keep it relatively <laughs> moving moving at a reasonable pace, we'll say. Certainly, yeah. I'll give you a, I'll give you all um, a vignette on. Um, so, Eric mentioned um, about the data set that we've collected, which is um, it's 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 fantastic. The the volume of data. Um, he spoke a lot about the high frequency data um, that we collect at the outlets. So um, that's at the drainage point of our catchments. I'm going to speak a little bit about how um, we've been using that data, but how we've also been using data that we collect on a monthly basis nested within our catchments. And um, um, I'm going to um, show you how that's allowed us to um, further our understanding on the controls and the drivers for um, uh, the movement of nitrate um, into uh, stream water. Okay, so um, um, I won't belabor the point on um, why we need to reduce um, nitrate concentrations. Um, I, th I, I, I would imagine that most of you in the audience um, know that the, um, a lot of waters in the south and southeast of Ireland are failing to meet uh, the water framework directives um, uh, uh, standard for um, water quality due to the concentration of nitrate in, in surface water. And as Pierre mentioned in his presentation, um, uh, the, the processes that take us from um, a load on a field to a measured concentration in, um, in uh, stream water, um, they're complex and they vary um, in time and they also vary in space. So that presents a challenge when um, uh, designing um, experiments to further our understanding. Um, there's a compromise that needs to be made between collecting a lot of information in one place or very few places or collecting little bits of information in many places. And so the benefits that you have of, of um, collecting a lot of information is you can capture um, weather events. So for instance, there could be an extreme flushing event um, where um, a significant portion of the annual budget for um, uh, pollutant um, leaves. And if you're only doing uh, six monthly sampling or annual sampling, you can uh, miss these, uh, these events. On the other hand, if you um, only focus on one location and you have um, a lot of data, um, you miss some of these. Um, um, you, you may miss some of these critical areas in the landscape. Um, so, um, what we've done is we've tried to um, combine the best of both worlds, and um, we've adopted um, what we call the uh, subcatchment approach. So. The, we used four of our six catchments in the ACP. And um, um, what we did is we um, broke down um, each of these catchments into smaller units, which we call subcatchments. And um, the way that we define the boundary for these subcatchments um, is um, by water drainage. So each of these yellow circles along this blue river channel um, that's a sampling point where each month we took a water sample and an analyzed that for uh, NP and uh, a whole host of, of um, uh, other compounds. I'm only going to focus on nitrate in this talk. Um, and so um, these subcatchments, they go all the way down the stream river. They're nested within one another, meaning that subcatchment five contains six as well as five and four contains five and six, and so on and so forth, with the exception of tributaries. So if there's a tributary 
um, then that's not necessarily nested in um, within these other subcatchments on the main channel, but they will all be nested within the entire catchment, which we also considered um, uh, in our analysis. Okay, so in each of these subcatchment, oops, sorry, in each of these subcatchment units, we collected um, data to represent um, processes that we know are key drivers or controls on the movement um, and the cycling of um, nitrogen to nitrate and then its subsequent transport to surface water. So we connect, collected information on uh, land use. So was, uh, the, the, what was the proportion of um, uh, land in arable uh, versus land in um, uh, grassland. We collected information um, on farming intensity. So um, for livestock, um, their stocking rate and for um, arable, we assumed um, uh, 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 mineral fertilizer application of 130 kilograms per, per hectare. Um, and um, we also collected information on the um, prevailing um, soil drainage characteristics in each of those subcatchments. And um, finally, we also combi combined that with um, the um, North Atlantic Oscillation Index, which is a climate indicator, which uh, Eric mentioned in, in um, his presentation. Basically, what that indicator um, uh, tells you is um, how extreme is our weather conditions uh, in a particular area um, for for that period of time. So it's giving you, giving you an, uh, an indication of extreme um, dry weather or extreme wet, wet weather, just anything that is atypical. Okay, um, so once we had um, compiled that this, this data set, um, we used some statistical analysis to kind of bring everything together and analyze it um, so that we could um, uh, glean some understanding as to um, which drivers and controls are more important um, and um, also how, when, um, where, and why. Um, so I'm going to take a, a little step backwards. And so um, these, these two figures, they're um, uh, at the top here is the farming intensity, that's the source loading uh, or the stocking rate in the Dunlear catchment. And at the bottom um, is still the Dunlear catchment. Um, that's the stream water nitrate concentrations. And I just want to bring your attention to um, uh, one of these subcatchments. So each of these lines represents a different subcatchment. And um, this, red, this red line, these markers from 2010 to 2018, that was one of the um, least intensively farmed subcatchments. However, it had um, uh, consistently the highest stream water nitrate concentration. So um, this, is, this isn't always the case, but this, this is the um, type of thing that you can see when you break down a catchment um, to smaller units. And the, the good thing and the useful thing about doing that is um, you can compare like for like. So if you were comparing um, um, one catchment to a different catchment and you saw something like this, you might wonder, is there something different that I didn't record in, in for instance, um, local practices, uh, local farming practices that's in influencing um, why we're seeing this. But if you're looking within um, the same catchment, you can be um, more confident that many things are similar. Um, okay, so to stay with Dunlear, um, so to dig a little deeper and, on, and understand, so there's a, a, quite a, a right, widespread in source loadings um, in the different subcatchments and also quite a widespread in um, uh, the stream water nitrate concentrations. And the one of the key reasons for this is, so using our statistical analysis, we um, examined the impact of the percentage of freely draining um, soils within a subcatchment um, and um, asked the question um, using this method, if you change the percentage of freely draining soil, 
how would you expect your stream um, uh, your stream water nitrate concentration to change? That's what this figure over here is showing at the bottom right. Um, so as you go from zero to 100% um, freely draining soil within a subcatchment, um, you can expect that um, uh, there's an increasing trend of, um, so um, th this figure shows how, how does, how does a subcatchment change in relation to the average, the average value? That's why it's centered around zero. So you can see as you get above 25% or so um, freely draining soil, you have um, quite um, a steep increase in um, expected stream water nitrate concentrations. The other thing that's important to note is there's also um, a, a, a wide um, error bar here. And um, that's due to um, the other factors which mediate the transport processes. So um, uh, soil drainage is important, but it's not the only characteristics that, that will determine um, how much nitrate you can expect to lose from a subcatchment here. Okay, so to sum up, um, what were the key findings? So um, uh, I didn't go into everything um, here. We, we had, um, uh, 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 around 36 subcatchments, and we did analysis looking um, within catchments and be between catchments, and then all of our data together. And the overall findings um, uh, were that um, climate and soil drainage were um, um, the most key um, controls and drivers of stream water nitrate. Um, source loading didn't have um, a, a statistically significant relationship um, with predicting um, stream water nitrate concentrations in any of our um, catchments. Um, the reason for this is that um, all of our catchments are intensively agricultural um, and um, the chemistry of nitrate is such that it's um, um, very mobile, it dissolves in water. Its formation is dependent on climate and um, uh, uh, um, soil factors like the amount of organic carbon that's present in the soil, um, how aerated it is. Um, so these factors, they override um, source, um, source, um, source pressures. So um, I've gone a little bit over time there, so I'll wrap up. And if there's any um, questions, um, uh, please do ask. Thank you very thank much, you. Jason. And thanks for, for sticking to time there, because I, I do want to leave some time for, for all the questions, because we are getting a lot of questions here, a lot of interest in uh, both presentations this morning. So do uh, use the Q&A tab at the bottom of your screen if you'd like to, to, to put questions through to, to our speakers. Um, so I, I propose we look, Eddie, we'll, we'll probably go straight into the questions because uh, we want to, to try and answer as many of those as possible. Um, yeah. well, thank, thanks both to, to Per Eric and Jason for, for keeping, keeping your presentations accessible for, for us all. Yes, Mark, we, we, we get straight to it. Uh, I suppose a, a, a very uh, straightforward question came in first. What equipment is being used to continuously monitor nitrogen and phosphorus every 10 minutes? And how, how, do we do it, how good do we find it? Is it consistent and is it reliable? Yeah, should I take that one? Yes, Pereri, sorry, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, so no, that, that, that's a very good question. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, a lot of time spent on, on, on exactly this, a lot of time and effort. Uh, so for nitrate, it's an optical sensor uh, that, that's uh, put, put in, in a, a tank that we pump up water into continuously, and it continuously monitors uh, nitrate N with this. And, and this is calibrated frequently. Um, and cleaned and so on. So we have on-site technicians that, that uh, work with this on, on, on a full-time basis in all across all the catchments. Uh, so th this, this is calibrated frequently, as I said, and, and samples are taken and compared uh, ongoing. So, so we, we, we can trust this very well. Otherwise, there could be drifts in these, of course, if, if you just leave them. Uh, but but we, we handle that by, by this strategy. For phosphorus, it's it's a, a different uh, method. It's, it's still uh, using the same sites and so on as the optical sensors. 
but it's actually an on-site little mini lab. It it sucks up a sample and with wet chemistry analyzes for for reactive phosphorus and total phosphorus uh, by digestion. Um, And this is done uh, also frequently. It's it's roughly every 10 minutes. It's uh, uh, about every 12 minutes. And and, uh, again, this is maintained by, by, by our technicians being on site and, and uh, looking after this instrument ongoing. And uh, samples are taken and compared, and, and we, we are very confident that, that this, this is producing good, good data. And, all right, thanks. Thanks for that. It's nice check that. Um, I, I'm going to focus on a few nitrate and nitrogen questions, which mostly, but not always, simply uh, targeted on the Timberley catchment. Um, just the improvement that you've seen since 2019 to 2022, year on year. Uh, question is, um, has that been seen in the other catchments? Um, mm-hmm. With nitrate, um there has been a slight improvement, not not as much as in Timo League. Uh, having in mind that Timo League was one of the catchment where 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 the concentrations elevated quite a lot in in two thousand eighteen and nineteen in, in the droughts, and thereafter it it dropped quite quite rapidly. And and uh, as both myself and Jason have talked about the catchment responds very differently. So I think we need longer time to evaluate that. And why is the cause of, of, of the, the drop and why it doesn't it do drop as much in all the catchments? And, and it, it's a bit different in, in different catchments. Um, mm-hmm. but, but also I know, know uh, that that advice has been uh, it, it has it has been really Afterwards, after 2018, we learned a lot from that, and and the, the advice had been been considering this situation. So I think that has improved, but but then then also uh, the fact Eric, that we have can I pick up on that slide that you presented with the transfer risk screening tool? You you showed a different uh, I think it was organic P concentrations. Um, how does that relate to the index system? If you were to run the indices alongside, is there what sort of relationship is there? With, with, with sorry, which index system? Uh, with, with with a phosphorus index. Uh, oh, in, in the soils, or or, yes. or you mean in 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 this transfer index? This, well, this transfer tool you you talked about. I think was the the one on top was twenty uh, kilograms per hectare. Yes. Um, what what was that? How how does that? If 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 we were to look at developing that further, that risk uh, tool uh, yeah. and combining your your concentrations with your mm-hmm. pathways and your receptor, um, how how would you see that relating to the index system that that's in place? Okay, well, f- first of all, um, it, it's kind of early days. We're 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 developing this, uh, and and it's looking very promising, but. It's developed from this high frequency monitoring in the outlet, which okay. of course is quite unique, and we don't expect all catchments to have this type of of, of uh, equipment. But there is a very good correlation between this and uh, the the hydrology in the catchments. So we can by by understanding base flow in the catchment, we can understand mobilization, and by understanding uh, the flashiness in the catchment, the, the high the peaks and so on, uh, we can understand the delivery. So we can use basic hydro- hydrological measurements in, in catchments to understand this. And then we can link it to whatever we know about the sources in the soils. That That, that, that is where we're kind of aiming this okay. in, in the future. So, so we can be able to use this more, more frequently. And we can use it in, in uh, modeling uh, when we model future scenarios, so both agriculture and, and uh, weather, climate change, uh, we can see what processes might be changing uh, in the future and what we need to be look, look out for. I think the key message is that you every every landscape or almost nearly every field has its own 
characteristics and uh, has, the management has to to uh, reflect that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Eddie, sorry for disturbing you on the questions now. I, I'm conscious we have eight minutes left. So maybe yeah. just for per Eric and Jason to, to keep the responses as uh, concise if you can. Yeah, I, I suppose I, I'm, just, I'm going to go back to nitrogen and then kind of combine them two questions that came in together, try and get get, get through. And, and one of them was a continuation of the previous uh, question on the nitrates in Tim League and their um, coming around to the fact that the derogation decision has a review taking place this year and if water quality um, doesn't reach the required standards in the time period that was specified that the limit of 250 will be reduced to 220. Um, and, and that's been reported in the journal. Um, and um, the question is, did, does the improvement in water quality in Timber League um, mean that this is unlikely to happen? And I'm going to combine that with another question saying that in the overview of the catchments, you showed that three or possibly four of the catchments don't reach the water framework directive quality standards. And after 14 years, does this mean that the good agricultural practice measures are not working? Um, I, 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 I'm going to attempt a bit of an answer to that myself. Um, yeah, please. <laughs> while, while the water quality has improved in Timber League, uh, the objective is that water leaving the river as it flows into the estuary would be below a figure of 2.6. Now in Timber League, the, the concentration, I'm talking about concentration leaving, not the load of uh, uh, annual amount of nitrogen leaving, but the concentration on average, would be below 2.6. And um, in 2022, it was at the lowest level that we ever found, uh, which would give hope that the regulations are working. But the lowest level that we found in Timber League was still almost twice that 2.6 figure at 4.9. And I suppose this is coming back to uh, saying it, it, it's it's difficult. You you went through the complexities there. There was a comment saying there must be an easier way to explain this. Um, there, there's huge complexities in water quality, um, and time is is needed to see actions working. But it's a combination of climate, weather, soil, and farming practice. I don't know, per Eric or Jason, have you anything to add to my comments there? Um, yeah, I, I would just add that um, when considering uh, nitrate concentrations, it's important to um, take into account what the weather was doing that year. So as um, Eric had in his slide um, showing the impact of the drought in 2018, um, if, if, for instance, um, uh, you took 2018 as a baseline, um, every subsequent year would seem to be um, improving. Um, and likewise, if um, you took a baseline a few years before 2018, it would look like things are moving in the wrong direction. So I think it's important to have the context around um, um, a measurement to, um, to be able to understand whether uh, mitigation measures are being effective or not. Yeah. And, um... A very simple question and just answer no is uh, any survey from forestry planted on the areas and its impact on water quality. The catchment areas weren't uh, were selected to evaluate the mainstream agricultural enterprises and forestry is not uh, for areas with significant amounts of forestry were avoided. So uh, that, that's one thing that we don't have any detail on. And in addition to that, none of the catchments have PC soil types. So we're, we're on mainstream agricultural enterprises on mineral soil types, and, and they're quite small, as Bert said, around a thousand hectares. And Mark, have you any to follow in there while I read read a few more? Yeah, um, I suppose just a question there. You you mentioned about this uh, relationship between uh, the aquatic status or the, the the water quality status as measured under the Water Framework Directive versus the chemical status and that, that they're, the, the relationship there is complex uh, enough and that you, they're not always correlated. Is, is, am I right in, in uh, interpreting that way? Yeah, I think that's that's a good <laughs> interpretation of that, right? Yeah, so so what 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 does that tell us then about, I mean, we, we need to, how important is the chemical status then? If we're if we're if really what the measure is 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 the the broader uh, aquatic status. 
Yeah, well, well, I, I think we have to realize that, that there are multiple stressors on, on the ecology. Uh, and and uh, if when looking at <clears throat> one alone or over just an average, uh, it, it doesn't really uh, correlate that well in that case because it, it's, it can, it, it's, it's kind of the long-term stress and then the, the temporary knockouts, so to say, when, when things happen very drastically. So it's a combined effect of, of acute and chronic situations and the combined effects of different stressors. Um, and there have been studies indicating that sediment is probably what what, what uh, sediment and hydromorphology itself is, is what's influencing most in, in, in our catchments. Um, but of course, nitrogen and phosphorus also plays a role in it. But 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 then again, it's a combination of all these, and, and that's why it's difficult to see a clear link. And then we shouldn't forget that there are other stressors. There's uh, pesticides and pharmaceuticals and, and all, all sorts of things. And, and we all need to combine all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you mentioned pharmaceuticals. That's an area that I think... Uh... There's a lot more investigation to be done there and yeah. uh, maybe an area that we could to discuss on, on one of our webinars in the future. Um, Eddie, uh, we've time for the last couple of questions there. Um, if you want, to, you yeah, want the, to, to, to... There's a couple of comparisons being made by our analysis and that, that's undertaken by the EPA in, and the frequency of monitoring undertaken by the EPA uh, in their Water Quality of Ireland report. Um, and... Um, I was wondering, do the agriculture catchments program, do our six catchments feed into the national reporting? And I suppose no is the answer to that. We don't. Uh, we work very closely with the farmers in the catchments and we have a good relationship with them and we're carrying out research uh, on at their goodwill. And uh, it was decided at the outset that, that we wouldn't feed into the national report, but we do compare our figures and we have a modeler working with our program and we combine our high resolution monitoring with the figures of the national data set. Um, and we do fit in, our results do fit in with the spread of results that the EPA are showing there. You can kind of see where our catchments would fit in in the spread of, of the results that they're, they're coming. Ours are smaller than the EPA's and a lot of people might say that um, our results contrast with the with the EPA, but but they don't. Uh, we, we do fit in, but we don't have the EPA report on almost uh, 5,000 water bodies nationally between groundwater, rivers, lakes, estuaries, um, and the sea. So in in and in the rivers, um, I think there's around 3,000 water, uh, river water bodies included in that report, and our results would would fit in with those. Um, Okay, um, thank you, Eddie. We're just up on uh, 10.30, so just want to say a big thank you to Per Eric and Jason for your presentations. Um, clear there's a huge amount of work going on in the, the catchments programme and the, the just the vastness of the data that's been collected is really uh, hard to get your head around. So it's, it's wonderful to have this, this data set. And uh, uh, obviously this, this whole area is, is a complex area, but I think you've pulled a, drawn out some very nice uh, uh, conclusions there and obviously there's there's good work going there and actually into to, trying to produce practical guidance there for farmers and and landowners and, and how best to, to to manage land i think the the work that's been done on the the pip maps these uh uh risk maps has been really important uh, uh work to to be able to uh identify you know riskier areas so it's really about building on that work over time so Thank you so much for your, your presentations and the presentation, as I said earlier on, will be uploaded to the Chagas website and uh, we're going to continue next uh, Friday with uh, our look at the Agricultural Catchments Programme. We'll be joined by Dr. Bridget Lynch and Onion uh, Zurovec uh, from the uh, ACP Programme and they're going to be talking about the gaseous emissions and soil science aspects of the Catchments Programme. So, until next Friday, do keep an eye out for all the different activities that are taking place as part of Agricultural uh, Catchments Week next week. Uh, I've sent a link through the, the chat there. And uh, I want to say a special thanks to Yvonne Maher and Andy Boland and Pat Murphy for their work in the background in 
uh, developing and continuing the, the, the excellent series of speakers that we have uh, from a week-to-week -week basis. So until next week, we will uh, talk to you then and have a good weekend. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.